welcome to Monday Morning Coffee with Inside the Firm. Each week, our hosts will be interviewing local, regional, and national business leaders to give you an inside peek into how they lead their business to success in the ever-competitive business climate. Welcome to Monday Morning Coffee with Inside the Firm. Today, I have a very special guest. Di Manuel is a super dad with a contagious personality and is on a mission to positively impact $1 million, one million role models worldwide through education, encouragement, and community. He's an award-winning digital thought leader, author, keynote speaker, former COO of a multi-million dollar retail company, and a sought-after lifestyle mentor and coach. Guy's work is centered around the f- the five F's: f- fitness, family, faith, finances, and fun. All built on a foundation of health. Guy, welcome to the show. <clears throat> hey, Lance, great to be here, my man. Yeah, cool. Well, hey, before we get into exactly what you do with five F's and all of that, uh, tell us how you got here. You know, are you from a family of entrepreneurs? Are you the first? <laughs> You know, I guess, yes, the the short answer is yes. Uh, I grew up watching my mom always have a side hustle, whether it was a, a bed and breakfast or antique shop, you know, she always had something on the side going. So she was a very entrepreneurial. And then my dad, he uh, co-founded uh, his vet practice at graduating university. So he was a veterinary medicine, uh, an animal doctor. And uh, so he was always running his own business, you know, and he ran that until he sold it. And then, you know, uh, which was unfortunate about six, seven years after that, he he took ill and, and eventually passed from pancreatic cancer. But regardless, that entrepreneurial spirit definitely was around and uh, injected into me at an early age. Very cool. Very cool. Um, So let's get into your five F's. Tell me where you came up with that. How does that play into what you do? (laughs) Well, I think it's probably the uh, the speaker and author in me, right? I, I and funny little side note: I went to school uh, not for sciences. Well, I started in sciences, and I realized after the first year, I'm like, I don't like this very much. And so I moved into the arts and uh, ended up doing philosophy and English literature, which ultimately leaves you not much career options. So I ended up being an entrepreneur. And uh, so long and short of it. Um, you know, the five S is, a. I like alliteration. It's easy to remember, but also it, it makes it very simple for me to have a filter. I, I think a lot of us are bombarded daily with so many questions and options and opportunities and, and really just choices. And for me to make choices simple is I like to pass them through some filters and make sure it aligns not only with things that are important to me, but also my family and and the life that I'm trying to lead, you know, really align values, purpose, passions, and intention. And so those five Fs come in very handy because those are really a lot of the values that my family hold and especially myself. Cool, cool. Yeah. What is it? So everybody goes through changes in their life, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you might, uh, some people, you know, you're married, you're divorced. Uh, mm-hmm. There's a somebody, a death in the family. Uh, you already talked about your dad in sort of way. What have you found is the best way to manage change in one's life? <laughs> well, I'm an 80s kid. And uh, I remember that movie, uh, Indiana Jones and Raiders of the Lost Ark. And in the first five minutes of the movie, you know, he's running out of this cave with this idol in his hand. And there's this massive boulder chasing them. And, and I think a lot of us feel like change is that boulder in our lives. I think it's a wonderful metaphor because it feels like it's something that's not really in our control, which it normally isn't, but it also feels like something we can't get away from. And here it comes, watch out, and it might crush us. And I think we have to look at the relationship we have with change. And, and yes, change is often most impactful when it's a negative change, or at least we see it as a negative 
But often when I look back on all the negative changes that happened, my parents divorced when I was quite young, um, both ended up remarrying, you know, within a period of time, uh, which introduced new siblings to our lives, you know, step siblings, uh, also new parents. And it, even though it was a negative change early on, which impacted me drastically health wise, mm -hmm. it ended up turning into something very positive later. And, and I think that's the thing that we have to remember about change. You know, Buddha said it like 2,600 years ago, he said, hey, don't worry, man, this too will pass, <laughs> you know? And, and I, I think we forget that at times. So I, I encourage people, think about the times that you've been proactive in the change in your own life. Like maybe you decided to get a little healthier, maybe you decided to tackle one of those vices that have been tripping you up in life, you know, mm -hmm. professionally or personally. But it took intentional effort to change. And you made it happen. So, so in, 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 in essence, you become the advocate for change in your own life. And, and I think it's a much positive way to have a relationship with change and not feel so overwhelmed like the boulders chasing you. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. I love, I love that. I'm, I've been saying that a lot on other podcasts that I've been on a guest on lately. That I, I've learned at the age of forty to appreciate the negative mm -hmm. change because I know the positive is coming. That's it has yes. to balance out. That's just the universe. That's the way it works. It's all right. God's plan. Yeah. Um, what, what is the so? With that, you know, what do you what do you think moving from, from change to challenge? What do you think is the, the biggest challenge you've had to overcome in your life? And, and what did you learn through that experience? There's been a couple. Uh, one was more of a mental health battle. And that was something that I I found a really effective crutch early on in life. In my late teens, uh, I discovered alcohol and I discovered I could quiet that anxious voice in my mind, the one that would often be screaming at me. Uh, and and that little voice that a lot of us have, you know, whether we feel that imposter syndrome, we kind of feel like a fraud, we feel like we're not enough. Well, I learned that alcohol allowed me to tap into something different mm. and be somebody different. And I believed over time that people preferred that version of me. Mm. And so it became sort of this this sought after fun guy die, mm -hmm. uh, even to the point I remember going to professional trade shows in my industry and, and guys would do the business at the booth and, and they're like, hey, where are you going tonight, die? Because we want to be with you. It's always fun, you know, and, mm -hmm. and, and this is this identity piece I started to latch on to and believe that was important and, and was something that people valued in me. And you know, it's a slippery slope because anybody that knows any sort of uh, crutch like that, that we're avoiding things, mm -hmm. uh, especially alcohol was that for me, uh, it became a big, big concern in my life where, where it really started to not only affect me professionally, but especially personally. And in my early 30s at 32, you know, I, I made a choice. You know, it was either I, I choose the life that I've always wanted and that I've been designing and, and intentionally living with my two kids under the age of six at the time. You know, I'd been dating my wife for 10 years of that period. And I didn't want to see that go away. And I made a choice. You know, I chose the life I wanted over the bottle. And, you know, it's, it's, it'll be 14 years soon. Uh, that that I made that decision. And it was a really hard change because it started as a one-year commitment to not drink. Mm -hmm. and, and full disclosure, you know, from 18 to 32, almost <clears throat> 15 years there, the longest stint I'd ever done without alcohol was like a sober January or something like that. You know, it was like a month off. And uh, so I realized really early on that it was going to be a challenge. And, uh, but I also knew it was going to be worth it. As hard as it was going to be, and, and I realized as well that I needed to get vulnerable and admit that I needed some help. Sure. I needed support. And that was the most challenging thing I'd ever encountered at that point. Because I was under the belief that I was self-sufficient, self-made, and able to do anything I wanted when I wanted. And, and I realized 
that's not true. It was just, again, another sort of facade I used yeah. to shield myself from others. And uh, so that that was a big, big learning for me. Big yeah. Learning for me. Yeah. A lot of people, exactly. There's the, there's the functional stoner, the functional alcoholic. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's just a facade. Like you said, people, yeah. even though you probably did get the work done, was it the best work? Could it have been better? Would you have felt oh, yeah. better? Does it just make sense <laughs> to just feel better in the morning? I think so. Um, what yeah. is what is alive and real for you in your life right now? Okay. <laughs> You know, well, most recently, to be perfectly honest, uh, yesterday was a milestone day for me. My youngest daughter graduated high school. And and so seeing her cross the stage, cap and gown, and just to know that that chapter of our kids being in high school and now moving off, you know, my, my eldest is in her third year university. And my youngest has just been accepted. So come September, you know, she, she's off for, for university. And my wife and I are going to be empty nesters. You know, here I am, 46 years old. My wife's 44. And we're like, oh, my gosh what's life going to look like? And, yeah. and and that's alive and real for me. Like the conversations are having and to be fair. Like I I've been dealing with some challenges with that. Like, mm -hmm. and just like, I don't like, it's just, it, it's a big unknown. Right. And uh, there's excitement, there's fear, there's a whole pile of everything in between. So that's very alive and real with me. I'm staring down the barrel of some big changes in my life and the way it's been the last 20 years. That's amazing. Yeah. I I'm right there with you. My oldest biological graduated this last year. And now my youngest daughter is just entering high school next year. I'm 40. I'll be, I'll be done at 44 too. So that number resonated with me. It's a, it's a drastic change, but I'm really looking forward to it. I, I think, uh, you know, just seeing them grow up and be able to be more self-sufficient but at the same time, like they still need you. It just, the diff yeah. the difference in need comes later on. Right. So all good stuff. Let's move to business. Um, mm -hmm. You know, you scaled a business mm -hmm. all the way up to eight figures. Mm -hmm. uh, what was what was your biggest learning and struggle with that experience? It's always the same thing. It's people. Right? Mm -hmm. it, it's uh, as much as you can automate things and you can really put a lot of systems and processes in place to to manage business as you scale. There's always going to be a people element whether it be on the back end <laughs> or on the front end, right? And everything in between. And and I think that was always the challenge. Like we only were able to do that because we had a great team of people, but people come and go. And people, as I always like to, to remind people, and, you know, I, I remind myself more than anything about this, is that, you know, we're not humans being emotional. We're emotional human beings. <laughs> and emotions come into it all the time. And, mm -hmm. and managing the emotions and expectations that's always been challenging. And uh, I, I just remember, you know, even having pay conversations or, you know, people feeling they're entitled to more with, with doing less and, and, you know, it's just sensitive conversations mm -hmm. and, and trying to always recognize that the business has to come first. It's its own entity that we have to all be aware of because it keeps all of us going forward, keeps mm -hmm. all of our customers happy. And it really is this ecosystem that we have to keep healthy. And it's just not as easy to say one person gets an arbitrary change that can't, because that one change can often affect the whole organization, right? And also you set a precedent. So those people conversations, definitely uh, were some of the best things also some of the worst <laughs> yeah i 100 i'm with you i run two service-based businesses i understand oh gosh, the people oh, are totally. everything the, the, right the people are everything yeah uh, you, because without them you're nothing you're not selling a product right you're selling the service yeah, i'm with you that that is that is 100 i'm with you it is the biggest mm -hmm. struggle that there is because nobody really teaches it even in business school i didn't go to business school to start yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly you just, it's sort of that is sort of on the job type of stuff 
Um, one of the books I've read that's really helped a lot is uh, Train Your Empathy. Do you have any Ooh, books wait, like that? that you, wait, that you I got to write that down. Write that down. Train Your Empathy. Okay. Train your yeah. Empathy. Just train um, your empathy. <clears throat> I love that because I I believe that, you know, empathy is that one piece that, gosh, we had more of that in the world. The world would be very different very quickly. Oh, 100%. You know? oh my mm -hmm. gosh. That's a good one. I'm going to check that out. Thank you. Um, yeah, there's a couple of good ones that I, I tend to resonate with. And, and one is, it's a really simple read by uh, Dr. Gay Hendricks called The Big Leap. And I always really like that because it sort of talks about the, the self-limitations we put on ourselves, especially around belief systems, you know, and, and, and as he refers to this sort of metaphor as a glass ceiling, you know, and we find ourselves in this elevator and as high as that elevator may go, there's always gonna be this place where we just feel we can't get through but really it's just glass and it's just a matter of breaking through that belief barrier right and, and i know lots of other motivational and inspirational speakers and, uh, and people that speak to the mindset piece have referred to this in different metaphors but i just found his very simplistic and easy to follow and understand but also very relatable and uh with the stories that he shares so that that's one that i often recommend to people mm -hmm. and then next to that the darren hardy's compound effect i, I still think and, and jeff olson's slight edge like those three books i just think are just fantastic basic concepts but once you adopt those into regular practice you know compound good behavior after good behavior good habits right like you find something that works well keep improving on that right yeah <laughs> and, yeah and watch it day after day good things happen right Yep, a hundred percent, hundred percent. So after after you scaled the business to eight figures, then eventually sold it, right? And then how did the what what was the transition like after that? Well, it wasn't the cleanest of transitions. If I'm fully transparent, um, I had a business partner that was twenty years my senior, and uh, he had a previous business, which I that's how I got to know him. You know, I was recruited into that business as a sales individual, and and it was my first time being in a performance based pay structure, which. I was both nervous, but also excited about um, because it was in fitness equipment and, and accessories and apparel and supplements. It was basically all the fun stuff that I loved anyways, naturally, just through my my life. I, I, I really love fitness. I like helping people with those, those healthy lifestyle changes. And so for me, it was like working in a candy store. And I was like, you mean the more people I help, the more money I make? And I was like, is there any limits to this? He goes, no, no, no. The more people you help, the more money you make. And I was like, wow, that sounds really cool. And and I really went all in and, and I excel, excelled at it very quickly. And you know, when opportunity came for us to separate from the parent company that he was a co-founder in, ultimately he wasn't getting along with his previous partners and, and uh, they agreed to disagree and he got one of the houses and and we had to start over. And, and so we had basically one store and started to jump shop again, you know, and uh, he brought me over, you know, and, and I was able to, to earn myself an equity position, sweat equity specifically, uh, because he knew that I was 20 years younger. I had the vigor, I had the stamina, and I had the want, you know? And so it was a really good working relationship initially. And he was really my first business mentor as well. But there came a point where that 20-year generational gap really started to play heavy, especially when it came to marketing and sales and mm -hmm. leadership. It's just very different belief systems. He was mm -hmm. brought up, you know, you know, grew up on like a, a, a his father was a foreman on a logging camp, as an mm -hmm. example, you know, so he grew up around loggers and, and falling trees. And that's a very rough and gruff and hard industry. And, and so it's tough leadership, you know, you, you yell, uh, as they say, we, we yell, but we pay well, <laughs> you know, so uh, again, you know, with the younger generations today, especially in service-based businesses, uh, and, and especially when you start diving into millennials and, and the conversations with them, like it's just that way of leadership does not work. Yeah. And so we were diametrically opposed in some beliefs and it came 
you know, I went through a health challenge where I was diagnosed with a chronic autoimmune condition shortly after making this big change mm -hmm. of moving away from alcohol. And it just put life into very sharp perspective for me, you know, and, and I remember my wife and I said, yeah, I was like, geez, here I'm mid thirties. And I'm like, huh, we thought maybe I had leukemia, you know, or some very serious form of cancer. And mm -hmm. luckily it turned out just, I mean, just, it's not just it's yeah. an autoimmune condition, but it, it's an autoimmune condition that's chronic and, and it acts like leukemia. Um, but I'm very fortunate that based on my lifestyle choices, a lot of the symptoms don't show up for me, which my hematologist is still amazed by, but I knew that if I maintained the way I was working and what I was doing, it was only going to continue to challenge my health. And, and it already was starting to feel like a toxic environment. So the decision was easy, but it wasn't a clean break. Um, I didn't leave at the best of times. I did give 18 months notice because I wanted to transition out well. Yeah. Um, but still, there was a lot of hurt feelings. Let's just say that. As I said before, we're emotional humans. We're not humans being emotional. And um we still haven't rekindled our relationship. This is now, you know, almost seven years later, right? Um, but uh, once we, I exited out, sold my position, um, we were able to transition into me doing more things online. So coaching, mentorship. Uh, I finally published a book I wanted to publish, uh, started speaking a lot more. I love to speak and connect with audiences. So I was able to say yes to a lot of the things that I wasn't saying yes to before that. And, uh, and then we also pulled our kids out of school. My wife quit her job and we went traveling for five years and ended up in Bali for two and a half of those five. And, um, and it was just a wonderful experience for our whole family that I'm very fortunate that I had the opportunity to do, you know, and, uh, but it was a scary shift and it didn't always work out in our favor, but you know what? We were together. We were into it. We all said we were signing up for that. Mm -hmm. It was one hell of an adventure, you know? Yeah. It sounds like yeah. it. It sounds like it hundred percent. Uh, what do you, what do you mean when you say, I was reading your profile, you're dating your wife of 21 years. Yeah, it's 23 now, which you can believe oh, okay. we're into our 23rd, but that I need to update that document. But uh, uh, yeah, you know, the funny thing is, and I, and I think anybody that's been in a long-term relationship can agree to this, that the, the people that we fall in love with initially, they're not the same people five years, 10 years, mm -hmm. 15, 20 years later. And it's like, if we're not actively or intentionally making the effort to continuously date and rediscover one another and the people that we're constantly evolving into, how do we have the opportunity to keep falling in love again and again, you know? And, and so my wife and I are very outspoken on this and we invite couples just always be dating, you know, just always make the effort, set the intention. You know, for us, we have a non-negotiable on our calendars. And now, you know, anybody that knows us well, they know they never invite us to do anything Saturday nights. Mm -hmm. You know, from five o'clock onward, they don't reach out. They don't invite. It's like, hey, we know it's your date. Like people just don't even invite us. They know it's our date night, you know, and uh, even our kids now, you know, like they don't bother us on Saturday nights. And uh, so we know it's that one night a week where it's just 100% intentional just for the two of us, you know, and uh, so and it's been really helpful. You know, it's helped us navigate some big challenges through our relationship over the years. And I, I created a lot of those challenges. I'll be full full of I'm honest about that and mm -hmm. uh, especially when I was drinking um but things changed a lot and changed very quickly uh, but that constantly dating has been a, an integral part of allowing that as well yeah I'm sure so let's say somebody's listening to this show and they they want to get in touch with you because they would like to hear you speak they would look they're looking for some men lifestyle mentoring some coaching mm -hmm. what, how, do, how does that what does that look like like what what is your programming 
Yeah, it, well, it depends. I have a number of different options for people, but I often find that the best way to start anything is just the conversation to get to know each other, you know, and, and the easiest way to get a hold of me is, is simply reach out on any social platform I'm active on, usually Facebook, Instagram, or uh, LinkedIn. Those are the three platforms I'm most active. And the nice thing about having a unique name like Dai, which is mm -hmm. actually Welsh for David, uh, Manuel being the Portuguese last name, people are like, wow, Welsh and Portuguese, what's up? I go, I'm just Canadian, don't worry about it. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> you know, regardless, if you can type my name in, you'll find me. And uh, and there's lots of different solutions and options. And my website, even, I, I've been blogging since, gosh, 15 years now. And it's just resources to help people navigate change, health, wealth, mental, you know, physical, emotional. It's really just things that I've encountered along the journey. I've just decided to share it all openly and transparently. And maybe it helps others, you know. Uh, but I always say, let's just start with the conversation and see where it goes. Yeah. Yeah. And then is it, uh, is it a, you know, is it a year long thing? Oh, uh, sorry. Yeah. Specifically. Yeah. It's a minimum three month commitment. And I invite people to to start with, and then from there, many people will just opt in for a year at a time. Um, but I, I don't typically work with people past two or three years. Uh, I, I just, without a good extended break. And, and that's just the way I operate because there comes a place in time where you just got to be on your own. You just got to go and implement now, it's one thing to collect a lot of knowledge and support, but if we're not constantly applying that to turn into self-wisdom and awareness and learning, uh, it really just becomes a, a stopgap. And and so I, I do want to be fully transparent with that. That's just something that I found worked well for me and my own coaching where I've been coached and mentored by others. Um, but it's also how I like to work. Yeah, very nice. Very nice. Yeah. Uh, so you've somehow you you seem like a very busy person. You have to be if you're coaching other people. You maintain your your date night with your wife. You have children. You, you seem you look pretty fit. So you, I got to assume you're active physically. Fittest I've ever been in my life, actually. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Congratulations. How do you how do you, you how do you juggle with all that? How do you where's you know I'm sure you have a struggle, but like what's your system? Yeah, I mean, there's always that struggle with the juggle of life, right? But a long time ago, I I really took ownership of my calendar and time mm. blocking. Um, and and I, I don't call it time management, uh, but I do call it commitment management. And mm -hmm. I'm very specific on how I commit my time. That's also where the five F's come in really handy. Um, I, I like, I'm a very visual person, a visual learner. I'm, I love my Google calendar for that reason. You know, mm -hmm. all, all my different types of commitments have different colors. Mm -hmm. So as an example, fitness is a big part of my life. And if I don't allocate fitness every day. And I just mean moving with purpose. I don't mean I'm going to the gym and lifting weights every day, but I'm okay. doing something active. Like I'm getting out. I just got back from a seven day hike as an example, you know? And, and uh, so I was off grid for like a week and, and it was awesome. Uh, 80 K hiking with a 70 pound pack. I'm feeling it today. I'll tell you that, uh, this body, that's the one thing I've noticed once I got into my forties, I'm like, Oh, those aches and pains don't tend to go away as quickly as no. they used to. But a <laughs> yep, couple days, yep. A couple days uh, at this point. Yeah, but but regardless, I, I'm just I, I like to and I'm just using this as an example, but fitness gets a little block every day. Family gets a little block every day. My work and businesses get a little block every day. And, and so I can paint this picture of what my week looks like. And I have to make sure I'm making time for those commitments for the things that truly matter first. And then I let sort of fill in the things around it. I can look very quickly at week to week to week and I can see the trends. Oh my goodness, I've got very few pink ones and pink means family. Okay. Mm -hmm. And because I've got two daughters and my wife. So, you know, I'm, I'm the, the, the low man on the pony bull, literally. And uh, so I, I use pink for family commitments. And if I'm not getting a lot of pink on my calendar, I know I'm going to feel very disconnected with my family. And that affects me mentally and emotionally. And I know that. 
So it's like, oh, I got to get some more pink on my calendar. And so that's sort of how I like to work and self-regulate. And it's been wonderful. It takes a little bit to get used to it, to create sure. the habit. Once it's there, oh, trust me, it's a it's a game changer for sure. Yeah, yeah, I I'm, I do much the same. I, I say I I make a, I make the intent to make appointments. I have the intent to make appointments for myself. And same sort of thing, you know, the, the different color coding. I, I I love that. What do you, what do you think though? I've heard the criticism, so I'm curious about yours. What do you think about the criticism where somebody says like that seems like that seems like it's rigid. That doesn't seem like it's equals any freedom. You know, what are your thoughts? Oh, I, I mean, I, I mean. Uh, you'll see i got plenty of freedoms <laughs> and i fill my days with the things i like to fill it with yeah the people the places the experiences and but it's because i live by my calendar that allows me that freedom you know i know what's coming i know what kind of space i have i know how to create more space or also how to fill it and uh, there's a lot of white space on my calendar and i can put whatever i want in those white spaces and, and that's very important I structured myself because I got so organized like this. I mean, I, I work a three and a half day work week, you know, it's just what I work. And yep. the other three and a half days, I'm doing other stuff that I like to do and passion projects and my writing and speaking and just stuff like that. Right. So, mm -hmm. um, but if I wasn't as organized as I am, I wouldn't be able to do that. And so I, I just invite people. It's like, if you've never done it, how can you actually comment that it's too rigid, et cetera. And I find most people that say that it's too rigid, they often haven't, you know, given it a real try yet. Yeah. Don't you, I mean, I think my biggest, what I, what I tell them is I say, you're in control of your day. Then if you don't, mm -hmm. if you, if you don't take control of your day, then it's going to take control of you. That's just how yeah. it works. So, so on that note, yeah. I'm a very early riser. I got to assume you are too, because most successful people are. Tell me about your morning. What's your morning routine like? Yeah. I always wake up between four thirty and five and I don't have an alarm. Uh, I just naturally wake up. It's almost a curse, I guess, now because I've been yeah. doing that since I was 18. Yeah. <laughs> it's just so ingrained. And it's a funny thing is like, even when I travel, it doesn't matter what time zone I'm in, it seems I wake up between 4.30 and 5. It's a, I don't know, it's some sort of weird phenomenon. Mm -hmm. I guess maybe it's the magnetic pull or whatever. Um, anyways, uh, so I wake up. Um, I, I, I like the five-minute journaling. Uh, so I do a quick five-minute journal, reflect on some some gratitude, but also set some intentions for the day. And then I start my day. I might have a, a quick espresso and then I might go to the gym, have a workout with a friend. Um, sometimes I go for a walk or a bike or a swim. Um, sometimes I just read or stretch and do mobility. I, I really, I like to do a self check-in in the morning. How am I feeling? What do I feel like I really need right now? Um, I, I used to be really prescriptive, if I'm honest, uh, but I found that over time, I found that rigidity to be too much. I found it to be too hard to be so prescriptive that, oh, here's my list of 10 things to do every morning at this time, between this time. And, and I found that all of a sudden things would start to slide or things felt forced. And, and then I start to almost resent doing some of them. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, I start to have this negative emotional response or triggered response when I have to do them because I feel like I'm doing them because I have to, not because I want to. Sure. And so I found that this way for me works a lot better, but I am committed to, to my physical, mental, and emotional health first thing in the morning. And that's sort of how I set my day up. And usually by 8, 8.30, you know, I'm back from a morning walk, probably had a coffee. I try to get out in the natural sunlight for at least a good 15 to 20 minutes first thing in the morning. And, uh, and then I start my day, you know, usually with a conversation with a client, maybe I write an article or something, do a live video. You know, it depends on what I'm feeling and if I'm feeling creative or not. And then, you know, my day sort of structured around that for up until, you know, 4 or 5 p.m., de depending on what the family's got going as well. Sounds beautiful. 
We're running up on the half hour here. This was yeah, a cool, this, this has been a great interview. And I really appreciate your time. I got two last Thanks, questions that I ask everybody. Sure. You sort of answered already one, which is the last mm -hmm. question. So I'm going to ask you the second to last one here. Knowing what you know now, and if you can go back in time to when you first started your business, it, even even it could be the eight figure mm -hmm. one. What is one advice, one piece of advice you give your former self? Masters. Honestly, it was a game changer for me. And Toastmasters, for those that mm -hmm. don't know, it's just a nonprofit global organization <laughs> mm -hmm. that's volunteer driven, and it helps people become more effective communicators and leaders. Uh, and often develop skills that are probably already present in your life, it just hasn't been cultivated nor nurtured. And it's a very safe environment to practice falling on your face. <laughs> I know a lot of us might deal with public speaking challenges. Uh, I, full disclosure, I've dealt with social anxiety my entire life. And when I've gone into that leadership role of now managing a large team, scaling a company, I realized I had to overcome that challenge. Mm -hmm. And the thing that helped me do that was Toastmasters. It was one of the parts that helped. And yeah. I, I wish I would have started it 10 years earlier. I really do. I didn't get into it until my late 20s. Um, but I would have loved to have started around 20 or even my late teens. Uh, it's something that I've gotten my kids around uh, since they were like, uh, you know, preteen and teens. And man, to see where they are now, it's awesome, you know. And and so I think it's a really valuable skill to develop early. A hundred percent. Everyone benefits. Yes, everyone know? benefits. I yeah. agree. I agree. It'd be personal, professional, in between, whatever that is. A hundred percent. I I I felt the same way. I was kicked in the butt to do it because uh, by myself, because what, what I, what I, what I found oh, when I was okay. in architecture school was there was this other student, uh, one of my colleagues, his name is Justin um, Miedema, and he was prolific at speaking, but he was bad at architecture. Yeah. It didn't matter if he's bad at architecture, he's prolific, prolific at speaking. And I thought I'm good at architecture. I'm not good at public speaking. I if, imagine what can happen if I was, if I was good at public speaking. So I, I totally concur with that. Uh, Dad, what, what is, if people want to reach out to you, as I mentioned before, you know, where exactly can they find and follow you if they'd like to get in touch with you? Sure. Uh, my website's diamondwell.com. So that's a, a, an easy place to sort of as the hub that everything sort of spokes out from. Um, otherwise, I, I would suggest if it's more of a professional nature, I, I'm very prolific on LinkedIn of creating content, adding content and nurturing a, a few communities. Um, so connect with me on LinkedIn, you know, just type in my name, Diamond. Well, you'll find me. I'm, I, I haven't seen anybody else with the same name. <laughs> and uh, which, you know, I think about my parents and like, man, they must have known something about search engine optimization way before, you know, because I'm much older uh -huh. than Google. Uh, but uh, regardless, you know, I think that's probably the best place. And uh, but I am on all the social medias and I am active and I manage that myself. I don't let anybody else touch that wow. stuff. Um and so uh, I, I only say to people, you know, just give me a little bit of grace. So if I don't get back to you right away, just give me a day or two. I will get back to you. Beautiful. Okay. Well, thank you so much for being on the show today. We, we appreciate your Thanks, time. Lance. Oh, I really appreciate this. It was wonderful.